have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 10. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and we started Acts chapter 10 last week, got up through verse 8, and pressed pause, and we'll finish the rest of the chapter here this week. Uh, as you're turning there, a book that I'm, I just started reading this week referred to another book, and I haven't read the other book. The other book is called What If? And that book, What If?, is written by a bunch of historians who look at a bunch of events in human history and ask, what if one thing would have been different? How would the whole course of history have been changed if one thing would have been different? And the example given in the book that I was reading this week was an example about uh, an American sharpshooter named Annie Oakley. Uh, So in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show here in the States, there was always a point in which Annie Oakley, who was a great sharpshooter, would ask if there was any volunteers from the audience who were smoking at the time, either a cigarette or a cigar, and say, would you come up on stage and I will shoot the ashes off the end of your cigarette or cigar. And everybody would laugh because nobody would want to volunteer uh, to do that. She would step a number of paces back and then do that. And so her husband would always be the one who would step up then, and she would do it. And she was successful every single time. Well, they took this tour on the road to Europe, and the year was 1889 or 1890 when she was doing a show in Berlin, Germany. And so in this What If History book, they they refer back to this event in which when she asked for an audience member to volunteer and come on stage, a certain man named uh, Prince Wilhelm, said, I'll do it. And the German police who were there tried to stop him from doing it. He is a man, though, um, that would later become king of Prussia and Germany's last emperor. Many would point to, as they look at how did World War I get started, would describe him as because of his aggressive ruling and some of his policies led to the start of World War I. One, which of course then would eventually lead into what became World War II. So German policemen try to stop him from being the volunteer, but he wouldn't be stopped. So he goes and has a cigar in his mouth, and Annie Oakley takes a number of paces back and shoots and successfully gets the ashes off of his cigar. Since then, many have wondered how world history would have been different if She had been off by a few inches on that day. History actually tells us, too, that many years later, after the First World War began, Annie Oakley wrote a letter to Wilhelm asking if she could have a second shot. Uh, And he never replied. Um, Those what-if scenarios are certainly interesting. How how you can, just, just thinking about how all of history can kind of take a turn one direction or another based on one simple and what might seem like small thing at the time. Well, last week we were looking at Acts chapter 9, the end of chapter 9, and started into Acts chapter 10. And we acknowledge that God has always had a plan, part of God's sovereign plan for all time, that He would save a people for Himself. That plan began with one man, Abram, from whom would come one nation, Israel, and through whom God would then bless all the nations of the earth. Over the centuries, however, as God sought to have his people be a holy people, and there were necessary separations between God's people Israel and all the other nations, the Gentiles, 
there had grown more than a separation, but really a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Last week, as we looked at the first verses of Acts chapter 10, we saw that the stage was being set for everything to get flipped upside down. Because God had sent an angel to come to a Gentile, a Roman centurion named Cornelius, who was living in the city of Caesarea. And he was told by an angel sent from God that he should send some of his men to go get Peter, who was staying in the city of Joppa at the time, about 30 miles south of Caesarea. So today, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 10, in which we will see God give Peter a vision. And Peter's going to have to respond to that. And it's going to maybe seem like a small thing at the time, a small step of obedience for Peter to take. But it's this one decision that really will kind of change the course of church history and even world history. I say that because, you know, most of us, I assume, here today cannot kind of trace family roots back to uh, Jewish family roots, but most of us are probably Gentile, and to think that we would not be sitting here today and would not be living with a sure hope of eternity with Jesus had God's plan not included Gentiles. But it did. And God's plan being worked out, we don't have to play these what-if games because we know that God has a sovereign plan for all of history, but we're going to see how one act of obedience on Peter's part really led to a shift in the ministry of the church from this point on. Not something that was easy, not something they didn't wrestle with, um, but we're going to see how that works out. And then I think work at looking at how that applies to us, as we recognize too that God's plan is still being worked out today through small steps and seemingly little decisions that we make on a daily basis. So, uh, rather than what we normally do, reading through the whole passage as we all stand together, we're not going to do that today. It's a long passage. We're going from chapter nine or chapter 10, verse 9, all the way through verse 48. So I'm just going to read that as we go, but I do want to pray before we dive in any further. Let's do that. Father, thank you uh, for your word, and thank you for your spirit. Thank you for work that you did in me as I studied this this week. Help me to clearly communicate it in such a way that brings glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, last week, an angel appeared to a Gentile named Cornelius living in Caesarea. And he was a centurion. That means he was a commander of of 100 uh, troops living up in Caesarea, and then he sent three people to go from Caesarea down to Joppa because he was told by the angel that there was this apostle named Peter who was currently staying with a man named Simon, a tanner, in Joppa, also along the Mediterranean Sea, about 30 miles south. So he sends them out. We should know, be reminded too, that Cornelius was a Gentile who was a God-fearing, religious, good man, but not a believer. He had not yet trusted in Jesus because he hadn't really heard the gospel clearly, it doesn't seem. So, that's where we pick it up here in verse 9. So, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9, says this, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, so that is, the three men sent by Cornelius, they're on their journey, 30-mile journey south, The next day, Peter went up on the housetop 
about the sixth hour to pray. Just a quick note about timing, okay? The sixth hour of the day is noon. Cornelius had his visit from the angel the day about 21 hours earlier, okay? So 21 hours has passed, and Peter is now at noon at a time of prayer up on a roof of Simon the Tanner's house, and he is praying. Here's what happens, verse 10. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. That's what happens to me around noon as well. But this doesn't usually happen to me. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So, you get the vision? A sheet coming down from heaven and there's animals on it. And... And then the animals that are on there are this mixture of animals who, as a Jew, Peter would have been trained from a very young age to recognize that some animals are considered by God to be clean according to God's law, right? In chapters like Leviticus chapter 11, there, there's some that are clean and you can eat them, and there's others that are unclean and you can't eat them. That's part of what it looked like for God's people to be set apart and holy from all the other nations. So, so up to this point, Peter's saying, I've never done that, right? So, so when, the, when the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat, those of us who like to eat all kinds of meat say, all right, I'll do it. But Peter, being raised as a Jew, would be a good Jew and say, no. In fact, what he says there in verse 14, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean, right? He's never had a slice of bacon, and I'm not about to start now. Right? But the voice came to him again a second time, it says in verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. So, so, so there's this shift in understanding that Peter's going to have to get to where these foods that he had been raised to, to, to know were unclean or common and not to be touched are now okay. okay so, so God's at work doing something and Peter's trying to figure it out. Well, let's go ahead and continue. Oh, by the way, uh, last week I kind of said, hey, here's, here's some Bible trivia for you. Okay? Remember where Peter's at. Peter's in Joppa. And last week I told you, hey, was there an Old Testament, some character in the Old Testament, an Old Testament prophet who also was in Joppa and trying to make a decision regarding what he was going to do with God's command that he go give a message to some unclean people? Remember who that was? Did you figure it out this week? Yeah, you got it. I, I saw Barbara Carlson wins something. Because uh, she, just, she just mouthed to me, Jonah, right? It was, it was Jonah. Jonah also called by God to go give a message to some unclean people, the Ninevites. And he didn't want to share the message. So what did he do? He ran away to Joppa and got a ticket. Uh, and the way the Jesus Storybook Bible says it, one ticket to not Nineveh, please, is what he said, right? He wanted to not go where God was telling him to go. 
Now, Peter is in Joppa, and he's got a decision to make. Why has he got a decision to make? Because look what happens. Not a coincidence. Look what happens here in verse 17. Remember, 21 hours after Cornelius' talk with the angel, here's what we see in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, okay, it's not like Peter immediately figured it out. Oh, the vision with the sheets and the animals that I'm supposed to eat. He hadn't figured it out yet. He's inwardly perplexed. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Again, not coincidence, right? These men had now arrived in Joppa, and they go to the right house. There's three men waiting at the gate while Peter's trying to figure out what was that vision all about. We don't even know if he got lunch or not. Verse 16, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. So there we see kind of this first step of something that probably would have been uncomfortable for Peter to do. These Gentiles have come to the house where he's staying, and he invites them in to be his guests. Because the Spirit had just said to Peter, you're going to go with these men without hesitation. So he invites Gentiles to come in and be his guests. One small step of obedience. Let's continue. In the middle of verse 23 then, it says this, The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. (laughs) Now listen to this. Just the, the orchestration that God had been at work doing. Cornelius was expecting them. He had done the math on how long it would have taken for those guys to get down to Joppa and then get back, that 30-mile journey each way. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Here's Peter's humility. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So, so picture this scene. God has made it clear that Peter is supposed to go and, and follow these people to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, this Gentile, unbeliever, but God-fearing, good religious man, has invited other people. His friends and relatives have gathered together. And so Peter suddenly is in a house with a whole bunch of Gentiles. And I love his honesty and humility here as he starts. Verse 28, And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. He just admits right up front, like, my armpits are sweaty. (laughs) Right? I'm kind of nervous. I'm not sure that I'm supposed to be here. I've been raised under the law to know that I'm not supposed to be visiting with people from another nation. This makes me uncomfortable. Right? But then he says this, But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. 
So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked him why you sent me. See, he still doesn't have everything figured out. He's, he's still trying to fit, but there's something. He makes this connection between clean and unclean foods, and like now it's okay. And he's making this connection with all these people that I've been trying to stay away from my whole life. Now it's okay, so I'm in your house. And there's a whole bunch of you gathered, and I'm not totally sure about this, but God said to do it, so here I am. Right? And then he's like, uh, so you tell me, why am I here? Like, I made it this far. Now look at verse 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now listen to this invitation. You want to talk about like an opportunity being dropped in your lap. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What a great opportunity. You've got an unbeliever who's invited a whole bunch of unbelievers into his house and invites Peter to come and just says, God has something for you to say? Say it. Here we are. Right? God's been orchestrating all of these details that have taken place over the course of four days. Angels and visions and all sorts of things that allow Peter to be standing in Cornelius' house surrounded by Gentiles who need to hear the gospel. That's what they need, right? Peter's not going to just start to tell stories and talk to them about the weather or sports or politics or the latest recommendations from the CDC or whatever, whatever the hot topic of the day is. That's not what Peter's there to talk about, right? Peter's there to talk about Jesus, and that's what he's going to do. So that's point number two, gospel proclamation. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth. Now, if you know Peter, those are some dangerous words, right? So Peter opened his mouth like, "Uh uh-oh. Right? If you're Peter's family members, Peter's friend, like hearing those words, Peter opened his mouth like, oh man, what's he going to say this time, right? Peter opened his mouth, but he nails it. Here's what he does. He said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Okay? He's learning something about God. Just over these last days, he's, he's trying to figure some stuff out. God doesn't show partiality. He continues, but in every nation... Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, he's not talking about acceptable to God for salvation. We know that God doesn't save people just because they fear him and try to do good stuff, right? He's just talking about the kind of acceptability or welcoming that God is calling him to give to the Gentiles. God is ready to welcome in all different kinds of people. They don't have to be Jewish like Peter was, right? And so he continues, verse 36. He's going to make sure he lets them know. If you have an opportunity to share the gospel, you've got to tell people about who Jesus is, right? And that's what Peter does here. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Christ, a title, right? Messiah, anointed one, the king of Israel. He is Lord of all, he says. Okay, so he's telling them who Jesus is. He's the Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. Now he's going to tell them about what Jesus did. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Okay, so he's just explaining, here's what the life of Jesus looked like. And by the way, I was there. I'm a witness, right? I saw him do these good things as he lived. And then he tells them this. Again, getting to the heart of the gospel, middle of verse 39. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Okay, so he's letting them know, here's who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord. And also you need to know this. Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And so here Peter is in a room filled with sinners who, when they stand before Jesus the judge, will be called guilty. Right? And so Peter needs to let them know, listen, he's the judge of the living and the dead. But here's the good news that Peter shares. This is a memory verse for this week. Verse 43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's a good verse to memorize. Hey, by the way, kids that are in Awana, you did an awesome job. So many of you, almost I mean, a good majority of you finished your books this year, so you memorized a lot of verses. Don't take like the summer off from memorizing verses. We have a memory verse every week that we share, just one verse usually. And so work on memorizing this verse this week, okay? And Brett Risky will give you candy. I'm just kidding. Uh, but sometimes that's what he does. So uh, he's not even here today. So he, oh, he's at, the, he's at the door. Okay. Ask Brett for candy on your way out if you memorize this verse. Okay. Acts 10.43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter proclaims the gospel. There's hope. For all of the people gathered there in Cornelius' home. That's the good news. Like we just sang, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Now my debt is paid. It's paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. All right. So the gospel demands a response. Peter's been faithful, right? Peter's faithfully proclaimed, this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus did. And this is what can be yours. Forgiveness of sins through believing in him. What's the response? Well, that's what we see in these closing verses. While Peter was still saying these things, verse 44 we're at. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, we had taken a break after we got through chapter uh, 7 of Acts. So it's been a while since we were in Acts chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 2, 
when we see on the day of Pentecost, Jews gathered together from all sorts of different places. What, what happens there? The Holy Spirit falls on them, right? And, and, and part of the evidence of that is they, they begin speaking in tongues, right? So, so these Jews now are seeing this happen among these Gentiles. Peter brought with them six people, okay? And now they're seeing this happen but the difference is they're in Caesarea, in a Gentile Roman centurion's home. And it's like the same thing is happening. And so, so their jaws are dropping and their world's being turned upside down. Like, wait, they get the Holy Spirit too? Right, so Peter's proclaiming the gospel just like he did then in Acts chapter 2 as well. So it's kind of like Pentecost again, except for this time, is Gentiles. Peter then is obeying the Great Commission, right? Baptizing them and then teaching them. They ask him to stay, to teach for a few more days. They want to not just hear the gospel, be baptized, and like, all right, we're good to go. No, they want to be taught. They want to know Jesus. And all of this starts with Peter taking one uncomfortable step of obedience. It certainly had a life-changing effect on this one man and those that he invited into his home on that day, right? But as we see when we turn to chapter 11 next week, it really opens up the door for ministry. He's not the first Gentile to be converted. We read about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch back in Acts chapter 8. But that didn't really seem to start anything uh, major because the Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Ethiopia. We never hear anything more. But this, we're going to hear more about this. Because now, in a region pretty close to Jerusalem, the believers who are almost all Jewish at this point are going to have to reconcile with the fact that God is now saving Gentiles too. Wait, is that, is that how it's supposed to work out? And Peter himself is going to struggle with this. Paul gets mad at him for it, not figuring it out soon enough in Galatians chapter 2. You could read that. So it's not going to be like, a, oh, now we get it, all right, we're good to go. It's going to cause some struggle in the church for years to come. But this is when everything just starts to turn. It's a great chapter, and and it really kind of hinges on Peter making one decision. A couple of decisions to make a couple of small steps. I'm glad that uh, he didn't make excuses. Right? He could have made excuses like, wait, Gentiles? No, I don't do that. Just like he said that about the food, like, no, I, I know that I'm not supposed to do that. He could like, no, I know I'm not supposed to go. No, he went and he's like, hey, guys, I feel a little uncomfortable here. But I'm here because God said to be here, right? And so, so he faithfully shares the gospel with him. I would encourage us to, application points, make it kind of quick. Number one, take a step of obedience. Take a step of obedience. Let me just encourage you in this way, church. We need to be aware of opportunities. They might not fall in our lap. It's not like maybe God won't like send an angel to one person who's an unbeliever, and that person will gather a bunch of people in their house, and then God will give you a vision, and then people from that house will come to you and say, hey, come with us and share the gospel. That might not happen. That probably won't happen. But God does provide opportunities that I think oftentimes we kind of are blind to because we're just busy and we're doing our own thing. We kind of got tunnel vision and we've got like all these things going on. And so we're so focused on ourselves that we totally miss opportunities that God is putting right in front of us. 
Let's be so convinced, church, of God's desire to save all kinds of people through weak, scapegoat people like us who are willing to take just one small step of obedience. And and I'm encouraged by stories I hear of God at work in our church and through our church. I just talked to one person this week who was going to uh, reach out to somebody in our community outside of our groceries and deliver them as a way to open up the door and share the gospel once again. I know of people in our church getting together with someone who they know is struggling. We just need to take small steps. Sometimes it starts with like, hey, I could just close the garage door and not talk to my neighbor again, or I could walk across the lawn and go talk to them, right? It might just look like sending a text with an invitation to get together for a meal or coffee with somebody. Just taking a small step of obedience that God could turn into something much, much bigger. You never know. You may never see fruit, and it may come much later. I can tell stories of how I've seen this happen. But let's not make excuses like Peter could have. Let's just find little opportunities to take steps of obedience. And then maybe the second quick application point could be this. Invite others to hear. You know, one small step could just look like an invitation. I really do believe that all of us who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, And we are empowered to be people who proclaim the gospel, right? There's not only a couple of people who can proclaim the gospel. All of you all, young, old, children, adult, new believer, super articulate, introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. You can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I also would encourage you not to shy away from inviting. I'm, I'm kind of encouraged that Cornelius, not even a believer himself, invited other people. And that's how they got to hear the gospel. Because Cornelius invited them to hear it. Maybe a friend in church would connect with someone. Someone that you've been trying to share the gospel with. Maybe it's a friend, a coworker, a family member. And you've tried to share the gospel, but it seems like it's just not getting through. Maybe... Maybe a friend in church would connect with them. So you have them over for dinner with your other friend and let your church friend know, like, hey, this is, this is a friend of mine. This is a family member of mine. They don't know Jesus, and I've tried to talk to them. Can, can you bring up Jesus while we're eating uh, the meal together? Right? We'll tag team together. Right? Or maybe you invite your friend to come to a worship service or some other church gathering with you. Cornelius, he wasn't a believer yet, yet he's inviting people to come and hear the gospel from Peter. I'll give you this offer as well. You, you, can, you can bring me in on this without even warning me ahead of time. That's fine. You can invite me to meet with you and your friend. Or, or even just say to your friend, hey, I think you might like to talk to my pastor. He's a little weird, but I think you might like to talk to my pastor. Would that be okay if I give him your number and he reaches out to you? Right? I just had a family in church do that to me relatively recently that's led into like three or four meetings uh, with a young man, right? Go ahead and do it. Just, just use me as your pastor. Like, hey, would you be up for getting together? My pastor likes to drink coffee or my pastor likes to, I like to eat food, whatever, right? I think you'd like to talk with him. I'd love for, for you two to get together. Let's, let's figure something out. Lots of other applications as well. Uh, there is a life group guide in there. Uh, we we want to be people who don't just like, oh, well, that was a, that was a nice sermon. Uh, we don't want to be those people. Uh, we want to be the people that say, all right, God, by your spirit, 
you're helping me in my mind to maybe know a few more things. God, would you work in my heart and would you work it out like through my hands that I might do what you're calling me to do. That's the kind of people we want to be. So our life group guide helps with that. Uh, Some life groups uh, are are just getting done meeting, taking a bit of a break. Uh, Maybe yours is still meeting. Um, Either way, I'd encourage you to use that life group guide, which I put together so that we can work some more on application of the word. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Oh, Father, it's, uh, it's just been a good morning. It's been good to just start by expressing praise and adoration because you're worthy of it. It was good also to spend some moments in silence, which we just don't do enough, confessing our sin, examining our hearts, and hearing the good news of the gospel that Jesus died for us taking communion together to help us remember that. It's been good to sing together. so good to hear voices around us, even with just a smaller worship team today, but lots of voices joined together. so good to hear that. And God, we're thankful for Your Word. We know it's a Word that causes us to rejoice in what You've done and a Word that calls us to participate in what you're yet to do. So God, as we close by singing together the song that reminds us that Christ is enough, I pray that you would help us to hear one another's voices, that we would remind one another that we have decided together to follow Jesus and we're not turning back. There's all sorts of ways we can make excuses and start to drift away, but God, I pray that you would help us to be people who would together build one another up and support and encourage and pray for one another that we would not turn back. Father, we know that we need each other to remain committed. So I pray that you would help us to encourage one another even as we sing together now. In Jesus' name, amen.